Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Berman, have a good night. Hello and welcome to The Hill here on News Nation. We're in Washington. Something major and nothing at all. Both happened. Today, the Senate passed a $95 billion foreign aid package, but the House Speaker says it's going nowhere. What both sides are saying and what could potentially come next, coming up. Plus, is Donald Trump trying to turn the Republican National Committee into a family affair? Mick Mulvaney knows the main players involved here. He'll share his thoughts. And are we about to watch the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas get impeached? Impeaching a cabinet secretary hasn't happened in more than a century, but it could in a matter of hours. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chair, legal analyst as well. Denise Gitsum, former aide to President George W. Bush and a Republican strategist. Brad Howard is a Democratic strategist. And Mick Mulvaney, the aforementioned former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation contributor as well. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, come on in. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill. And right off the top, you are looking live. You can see there the White House as President Biden seemingly did something today that anti-Trump Republicans were calling on presidential candidates to do for months to no avail. The president responded to Donald Trump's comments from over the weekend in which Trump suggested that he would not protect a NATO ally that is not living up to its military spending commitments. The former president said he would encourage Russia, quote, to do whatever the hell they want. And this right here is how the incumbent forcefully fired back. No other president in our history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Let me say this as clearly as I can. I never will. For God's sake, it's dumb, it's shameful, it's dangerous, it's un-American. Dumb, shameful, un-American, dangerous, he said as well. Hello to you all. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill. You know, there were calls for Republicans, Mick, to do that during the primary. It didn't happen. And we got President Biden today calling Donald Trump dumb. And I wonder if this is just the start for the next 10 months here. Oh, yes, it's absolutely <laughs> just the start for the next 10 months. But this is not new for Trump. Trump was beating on this when he was in the White House. Why is he saying these things? Now, the language is a lot more aggressive than it used to be, but the message is the same. He's upset that the Europeans are not living up to their commitment to spend 2% of their GDP on military well, he, spending. He, he, he was trying to get military spending upped uh, among NATO allies, but saying... You know, Russia, come on in and do whatever you want. I, 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 I don't remember that. 
I had interactions with our European allies when I was in the White House, and they would complain about the president's language. I'm like, look, you want us to live up to our terms of the agreement, but you don't want to live up to your terms of the agreement. Does that sound fair to you? And like, well, we don't like the language. Like, I don't like the language either, but I also don't like the fact that you're free riding on us. What what Republicans do all the time is they pick out things that he says and ignore other things. I don't think anyone has a problem with NATO paying your fair share, but the agreement says whether you pay or not, you get protected. It's the second part that he invites Russia, which is really irresponsible, invites Russia to do whatever, theoretically, do whatever they, they want to them simply because they haven't paid. Do I believe he really means that? I think he means that in the sense that I really want you to pay. I'll give that to you. But as a presidential candidate, as a nominee, it's completely irresponsible, dumb, shameful, and downright un-American to say that, especially want, with the world listening. I want to focus on President Biden's response. Is that the fight you want to see in him? Is that what yes. it's going to take? Absolutely. Clear, and, and, concise, easy to understand. Like, I, I, in this, and this comes issue, this there is no clearer contrast between the two candidates than on these two issues. I saw fire. I saw fight. I'm excited that he's our nominee. I hope he continues to hold it to President Trump because we've got to stop. A lot of Senate Republicans have been saying, oh, that's not really what it means. What he means is this. Right. No, we need to take Donald Trump at what he means and what he is saying. And remember, the, the existence of NATO really exists as a deterrence right. to stop people like Putin to because if he has the ability to run amok in Europe, we've seen how that can run afoul and really drag us into a global war. We can't stay out of any kind of conflict that emerges in Europe. What, what about President Biden saying this the way he did today, trying to take it to Donald Trump? It's fine. This is a campaign season. Everybody expects it. It doesn't change the fact that no matter what Biden says, he's seen as weak. And 68% of Americans well, that's felt why safer I... under Trump than they do now. President Biden's approval ratings on foreign policy is 31%. Anything Trump does, no matter what he says, no matter how, how unsavory, how dumb, whatever you want to call it, doesn't change the reality of how Americans feel under President Trump versus Biden. But this okay. rhetoric might change the polling and move him we'll up. See. Exactly. Nothing else has. You don't right. have a problem with anything he said. You don't have a problem with anything he said. I hate it when he says stuff like this. You know why? Because it makes it harder for Republicans. I'm more, I'm more interested, yeah, though. Exactly. I'm more interested, though, in the I response. You should love it. <laughs> I'm more interested, though, real quick, on the response from Joe Biden today. What did you see out of him? Uh, I, I, I agree with Brad. I mean, he was awake, okay. right, which is a move in the right direction <laughs> for, for Joe Biden. He, right. was, he, he was not mumbling. He was not slurring okay. his words. He was as good as he's going to be. Yay. All right. Meantime, President Biden also forcefully <laughs> pushed the House today to approve the $95 billion foreign aid package that would send money to Ukraine and Israel. For Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. History is watching. History is watching. Failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. Meantime, uh, Johnson's counterpart, Mike Johnson, the House Speaker, has basically said that he's not going to put this bill on the floor. And so thus, even though the Senate passed it, Mike Johnson saying it's not coming up means, again, something happened, but did it. Mitch McConnell responded this way, saying, quote, we've heard all kinds of rumors about whether the House supports Ukraine or doesn't. It seems to me that the easy way to solve that would be to vote. Joining me now is the Republican congressman from Tennessee, Scott Desjardins. He is a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Congressman, thanks for being with us here on the Hill. It doesn't seem as if this $95 billion package is going to get a vote, should it? 
Not until we secure our border. I don't know what universe Biden's living in or Schumer's living in. Uh, a lot of the average Americans don't understand what's going on in Ukraine, maybe not even Israel and certainly not Taiwan. All those are bundled into this massive spending package. Well, every state in the country understands what's going on at our southern border. The House has made it very clear. We need to secure our own border before we worry about securing other borders. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but it's but pretty that's clear not happen. what order Congressman- should be taken care of in. Let's let's live in the let, let let's go to the present moment. You've sent sent something to the Senate called HR two. They're not taking it up. The ninety five billion dollar bill is going to the House. Mike Johnson ain't taking it up. So I hear you talk about need to secure the border, but I think the the real world that we're living in is Republicans have clearly made the calculation we're not going to pass a dime until if and when Donald Trump is elected. Is that not the reality? No, I mean, we had a a aid bill for Israel on the floor last week, and the Democrats tanked it. There were some Republicans, too, but there was a standalone bill to fund Israel. Bottom line is, reality in our country is that we are literally being invaded from both our southern and northern border, and why this isn't the top issue on the administration's mind, I don't know. He keeps talking about the importance of funding Ukraine. I get briefed every month on the Russia-Ukraine war, and I understand the strategy there to, to uh, you know, degrade one of our adversaries, but the bottom line is what happens in our own country is more important to Americans than what happens there. And I, we've been imploring the Biden administration to go on TV and explain to the American people why we should send money. And where did $60 billion come from? Is that for military so aid? Is right it humanitarian number? aid? Is it to prop up their government? We don't know what the right number is because there's no transparency. What we need to do is break that down. They're writing pretty big checks on the taxpayer dime. And we do know that we're spending a fortune and we're letting terrorists come across our border. We're watching people die every day of fentanyl. And so to ignore that problem and say that other countries are more important than our own is just ridiculous. And and I don't know how they can be so blind to what the average American is seeing. Congressman Desjardins, we got to leave it there, but thank you for the time and thanks for being here on the Hill on News Nation. We hope to have you back soon. Appreciate it. Certainly. Yep. Uh, joining us now is Morgan Ortegas, of course, uh, friend of the show, former State Department spokeswoman in the Trump administration as well. Morgan, hello. Good to see you as always. This foreign aid package going nowhere in the House. We just heard a little bit there from the congressman. And, and, and I wonder, Morgan, if you think it's the wrong move for House Republicans to just let this thing go by the wayside. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. We'll see. I know that that's the initial conversation as being reported. You're right. But I do think and hope that perhaps and what I think should happen is Speaker Johnson should get on the phone or in person with Chuck Schumer and try to perhaps work work out something that uh, that could get passed. Now, I know that sounds impossible in the context of everything that we've covered over the past week or two. But there are some things that could make sense that would be palatable for enough Republicans and Democrats. You would have have to put some border security measures back in. It would not have to be this comprehensive immigration reform package that would negotiate it. There's also talk on the table uh, from the former president that he would uh, that he would support making loan guarantees to Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan as opposed to outright aid. That's something that has a historical precedence. We certainly did that through Lend-Lease. We certainly did that with the Germans after Reconstruction. Um, and you can do very long-term payment plans on those, uh, Blake. So I do think 
think what needs to happen instead of just shutting down the conversation is that I hope the speaker uh, and others will try to come to the table with new provisions that would strengthen the supplemental and make it more palatable to both sides. So here, here was Donald Trump because he, like we saw in the House bill, Morgan, he's pushing Senate Republicans or he pushed uh, Republicans, I guess you could say, in this town, not to back it. He says, from this point forward, are you listening, U.S. Senate? No money in the form of foreign aid should be given to any country unless it is done as a loan, not just a giveaway. What about that concept? Well, Israel already actually pays back in large part uh, what we give to them, and, and that's through all the defense exchanges. Uh, listen, as somebody who worked for USAID and worked in foreign aid for a long time, uh, we actually have spent a lot of uh, in that community, in the foreign aid community, talking about how oftentimes a lot of those th- things that we work on at USAID fail, right? And they don't actually help get some of these countries that are dependent on foreign aid out of the cycle of poverty. This is a very different case, of course, for Ukraine and Israel. We know that. But but again, I would point to historical precedents through Lend-Lease and other things that the United States uh, has done and which people that we helped or allied or, or people who we were you know, rebuilding through reconstruction uh, did. Again, these were very long-term loans, but they did have to pay them back so that they had some skin okay. in the game. I think that that makes sense to a lot of common sense, average, everyday Americans if they would consider that proposal. All right. Morgan Ortegas, former spokeswoman over at the State <laughs> Department. Morgan. Thanks, as always. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Yep. Um, okay, so what about this, this concept of loans? Instead of giving grants, taxpayer money, saying, you know what? We'll, we'll give you that money and, and loan it back. <clears throat> yeah, but that's just a new discussion. How's Ukraine? Well, well no, that, but that's the, that's the question. If it is a new discussion, what about it? It's a, it's it makes a sense or no? It, make, it doesn't make sense for Ukraine if... if, if, uh, if, if Israel that pays us back a lot of money already, and they've got the upper hand in this war against uh, Hamas and Gaza. That makes sense. But for Ukraine, I'm not sure how, you, how Ukraine pays it back. They've got to rebuild infrastructure regardless of how this uh, war ends up. So I don't think it's realistic. But the other thing is this real quick, is the Republicans have multiple personalities. The Lankford bipartisan bill... That's dead on arrival when it had the financial, they had the international aid and it had border security. That's dead. And now they, the, the Democrats in the Senate put forth another bill that has $95 billion for Ukraine and, and Israel. And that's dead on arrival. You can't have it both ways, can you? Or am I missing something? Well, I think you can have it both ways. I, I think what you heard Scott say was actually there's a, there's, there's a lot true there. He's like, look, Ukraine's a long way away. Do the American taxpayers really want to pay $60 billion for who knows what? Let's put that in perspective, by the way. The total budget this year for the, for the United States yeah. Marine Corps, all of it, okay. $53 billion. So you're wow. giving Ukraine more than we use every single so year. So all, 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 all of foreign aid in 2022, $70 billion in total obligations, $41 billion of that managed by USAID, the largest recipient, Sub-Saharan Africa, at $17.7 billion. So $60 billion is a huge we, number. When we say sorry, foreign yeah. aid, let's be sure we, we know what we're talking about here. This isn't just a gift to a country and have fun, and there's no benefit to the U.S. whatsoever. No, there's always a when quid pro quo. When you look at global pandemics <laughs> and having people stop global pandemics before they reach our shores, when you talk about rooting out terrorists when we're trying to find them abroad, our global strategic alliances across the, the world, like these, these have benefits to everyday Americans that keep us safer and healthy and protect our country. But when you see numbers like the ones that were just cited in terms of what we're spending on our own military, and you see the change in sentiment, attack, well, you change, well, we are all over the world. No, but I'm not, in, not in the way Ukraine is right now. But we are in different ways. And I, I, think, I think that's like ways. in... But if you don't... Well, hold on, let me finish my point. Last word to Denise here, yeah. 
39% of Americans, oh sorry, Republicans a year ago actually were for were for engagement, right? And now sorry, against foreign engagement. And now 51% are a majority of Republicans are now opposed to it. And it's not just Republicans. It's people like Cardi B who are saying, "Look, Cardi B in November went after the president for saying, "How come you're giving all this money to other people?" Why aren't you taking care of people in my own backyard? And that's the sentiment you heard from the congressman. Right. And that's the sentiment that is reverberating. You know what they say when you've lost Cardi B. Listen, Cardi B. Coming up here on the Hill, an impeachment sequel. <laughs> it failed the first time. But Republicans are making a second go at it, potentially here in the upcoming hours. How the House plans to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Will they be able to get it done? And... What happens uh, after that if they do? Is the Senate going to take it up? We'll see. And headed for the Sunshine State, one of the world's richest men is heading south, not just for the sand and sun. Why Jeff Bezos got a pretty good hint, now made a move to Miami. Stay with us. The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So, did you see this? The Republican Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio made a a bit of a surprise move on the Senate floor during the debate on aid to Israel and Ukraine. The senator uh, read from Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss to celebrate his son's fourth birthday. Watch. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Alley of Ann Allen O'Shea or Vivek. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. I love you. All right. Believe it or not, this isn't the first time Dr. Seuss has been read on the Senate floor. Ted Cruz did it back in 2013, reading Green Eggs and Ham amid a 21-hour filibuster opposing Obamacare. That 10 years ago, and we saw basically the same thing last night. All right. The U.S. economy, meantime, getting a, a little bit of a reality check today in the form of inflation. Consumer prices jumped more than analysts expected last month. That triggered a big slide in the markets today. The S&P 500, NASDAQ, Dow Jones, all closing down more than 1% as traders worry that the Fed might take longer to cut rates. Mick, I saw last week Democrats go after the Department of Justice with the special counsel report. And I wonder if Jay Powell doesn't cut rates this summer like everyone's expecting him to. Are we going to see Democrats go after Jay Powell? Uh, they're, in a, they're in a pickle here, and here's why. With inflation going up, one would expect the, the Fed to increase rates, not cut them. If they cut rates now, it has the tendency to drive inflation up. So you tell me what the Democrats would rather have, higher inflation rates or higher interest rates. And that's a lose-lose situation. So they're in a real pickle here. I, don't, I still don't understand what Powell was doing a couple months ago when he telegraphed there'd be five cuts this, this year. A lot of us in the conservative economic community looked around and said, what data is he looking at that says inflation is coming down fast enough to actually cut rates? And I guess the only answer was he was looking at Biden's numbers. It was the Republicans accusing Powell of playing politics with this a couple weeks so ago. I wanna, this is going to be really bad. Before you jump in, Scott, I just want to show you the, the chance of a rate cut, what the market is saying right now. Chance of a rate cut, there's, so there's five meetings between now and the November election. You see it on your screen. It's basically saying by June 12th, so the, the start of the summer, 29%, there's a 29% chance that rates stay the same, or, or conversely, about a 70% chance that they get cut. That 29%, it was 8% this morning, meaning the market went 3x saying, you know what, maybe he's not going to cut in June. I don't know how you Sorry, cut rates I didn't want inflation going up. But, but Mick... 
Inflation is trending downward. If you look back, I read the report, parts right. of the report. Mm -hmm. It was at 9% in 2022. It is mm -hmm. now at 3%, and wages are outpacing the inflation rate. Now, also in the report, some of the, 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 uh, the goods and gas and, and, and rents are really driving that inflation at 3%. Right. But you can't deny that 3% is an improvement. It's still high, right? And it's trending uh, downward. So there's some good stuff in this report, but it's not enough to help Biden and help America feel that inflation is not a factor anymore in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I mean, I think the real problem here is not whether or not the Fed cuts rates. The Fed's going to do what it does. Democrats tend to stay out of what the Fed's doing, I think, in reaction. The real problem for the White House is even if everything is going well for the economy and continues to improve, right. the president's not getting credit. And that's a real, that's a real communications and campaign problem for the, the, the White House okay. and the Biden administration and until they convince <laughs> Americans they're the reason for the Last positive economic development. That sounds like a great reason to read my column from The Hill. I said that just for you, Ben. Just All right, still much more ahead here on The Hill on News Nation. We're coming up on Act Two. House Republicans will try again to impeach the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This is starting, I, I think, in about like 15 minutes or so. Do they have the numbers this time? We'll talk to the Democratic congressman from Texas, Henry Cuellar, about the upcoming vote and what he's telling the White House about the southern border. Plus, is it a total takeover? What Donald Trump wants to do with the Republican National Committee? Mick Mulvaney knows the key players here. He's, he's known him for quite some time. Mick will dish when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill, and you are looking live right now, 629 here on the East Coast at the floor of the House of Representatives, where Republicans, in about the next, call it 15, 20 minutes or so it should start, are about to take a second stab at passing articles of impeachment against the DHS Secretary, Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, if it passes, remember, last time it was a, it was a dead split vote, 215 to 215, but if it passes, Mayorkas would be only the second cabinet member in the history of this country to be impeached. Joining us now is the Democratic congressman from Texas, Henry Cuellar. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. I know you got to go vote soon, so we'll keep this tight. But if Mayorkas is impeached and this goes over to the Senate, Congressman, should there be a, a Senate trial before the election? You comfortable with that? Or should it take place after? No, I think they should have it, uh, have the Senate trial as soon as possible. We know what's going to happen. It's not going to, it's not going to uh, get, he's not going to get convicted there. But nevertheless, I find it very interesting that our Republicans don't want to do a border deal that they were talking about for so many months, but they still want to impeach the uh, secretary for not doing his job. But again, Congress is not doing his job by passing a border deal. So, it, it, uh, it, it's putting the P of politics over the P of policy uh, in the wrong place. What does, and, and I know I, you live in Texas. We've talked about this before, Congressman. You live in Texas, you're a Democrat. I would think that if the president wanted some, to hear from his party in the state where this is sort of all or most of it happening, a lot of it happening, he'd pick up the phone and call you. I wonder what you've told the White House now that the political reality is seemingly, that nothing will get done as it relates to the southern border before the election. So what have you told the White House congressman, and what do you think that President Biden needs to do from any sort of executive action front going forward? 
Well, first of all, I think you need to look at the current law called Title VIII and do expedited removals. And when he does the expedited removals, he needs to publicize as much as possible where he's showing people being returned instead of showing people coming in. Actually, if you look at the numbers, uh, Biden has already uh, has really deported more people than President Trump has. Because, of course, there are bigger numbers, but he's not showing that. So I would use Title VIII which is a current law, I would do expedited removals and I would publicize people going back so the images would sink in in other, uh, in other people's and other countries' minds to show that we're actually enforcing the law. Is it time for President Biden to sit down one-on-one with the House Speaker Mike Johnson or do you think that's a waste of time? Well, I think uh, the Speaker, without due respect, is listening to a group of eight that gave McCarthy a very difficult time. Uh, if he would just let us do the will of the House, we could do so many things bipartisan. But that's not, uh, but... not going to happen. And you know that, Congressman, which is why I, I, I asked the question about projecting forward. Is it just simply going to come down to those two getting into a room and hammering out a deal? And is that even possible? Well, you know, I hope he does that. I mean, I think if he does that and if there is good faith on both sides, you never know when people there at the Oval Office talking uh, and I know I've worked with, uh, you know, with the uh, president when he was vice president and he's uh, he's good. He can talk to people, but I hopefully they can uh, try to sit down and try to work this out if it's possible. All right. Congressman Cuellar, we got to leave it there. I know you got to head on over to the to the House floor to vote. Congressman Henry Cuellar from Texas, Democrat. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Yep. Your reaction. No, I mean, I'll say I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that Henry Cryer is one of the strongest voices on border policy in the Democratic Party, and I, I hope more Democrats listen to him. I think Mick's been saying this for a while. There's things the president can do right now that they're the law that, that, the, that is allowed under law, and Henry just named some of those. And so, you know, I think— uh, so Why won't he do it? Well, I think because he's pushing for a broader, more comprehensive package. Yeah. Are those two things mutually exclusive? So- well, I, that, what now? I don't know. Why, are they mutually exclusive? Why can't Why he do, do both? both? Why can't he do something to say, look, I'm trying, but I need, I need help to do but it. But he's not point. trying. I know, but he's yeah. that, my point is why he has endorsed he's the bipartisan bill. Yeah. But he endorsed well, the bipartisan bill in the Senate, so he, sure. he's advocating for something. But he can do so much now. Look, President Biden took six legislation too. President Biden took six executive order actions in his first day in office as a result of his campaign promises to those that he promised he would roll back everything Trump did. He's taken 296 executive negative actions on immigration since he's been in office. And that has resulted in the debacle that so, we're dealing with now. It's a complete disaster. Well, so, and he can fix it. Well, here's the, the, sorry, no, last word real quick. Cat, the catch and release is the problem. I that's could support section. Problem. Oh, that's a big problem. That's why you see the images. But I could support Section 8. And I think the Biden will eventually have to do that at some point. So the, 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 re, the political reality is House Republicans have passed H.R. 2, sent it to the Senate. Didn't move. This other bill uh, got passed through the Senate today and is moving to the House. Won't move there. The border, they're not agreeing to anything on the border. And it's why we continue to ask the question to both sides, including to Democrats, and we'd love to have the White House on to talk about it. What will President Biden do next? Because the reality of the situation is it just might be that between now and November. All right, turning now over to the campaign trail. After the release of the special counsel's report on President Biden's handling of classified documents, Nikki Haley was asked if she thinks the commander-in-chief should resign. This was her response. Do you believe the president should resign? 
Yes, I do. And I think the Democrat Party knows that. And I think that it is not just in the best interest of their party. It's in the best interest of the country. That ain't going to happen, though. Speaking of political realities, what's going on here with Nikki Haley in your home state of South Carolina right now, Mick? (laughs) Not much. Uh, I'm not seeing the needle needle move very much. Nikki's been there. She's actually uh, in my part of the state fairly regularly. She's working hard. But all the polling data I've said still says that she's trailing someplace in the mid-20s. That's not surprising. There's a very low number of undecideds. These folks have voted for Donald Trump twice. They know who he is. They voted for Nikki Haley twice. They know who she is. They've already made up their mind. I think it'd be very difficult for her to move the needle at all. So does she get out after she loses South Carolina? Or does she keep moving forward? I I would think if you get out, you're going to get out before South Carolina. Because if you lose by 25 in your home state, it projects weakness for 2028. But she's showing no signs of that at all. But I think also, too, like, why not play this out to the end if you're Nikki Haley? What's like, the end? Well, Biden is, you know, or either one of them are old, something could happen health-wise, or with Donald Trump, he's got a series of court cases in front of him. What if something happens there? Like, she so could you, be the person they turn So around. you're saying, like, turn play around. this out till June, July, August? Like, as long as you got money, keep going. She's not in it to win it, right? She really knows she's going to lose. and But she has the donors that are backing her. Yep. They're trying to be the conscience of the Republican Party. The, I want to go back to what she said about Biden, though. The worst sure scenario do. for most. Yeah, I mean, that's where we started, that right? Let's go. Question. That was the, that's what she said. That's what we're responding <laughs> we to. We've moved on from that. I think what do you I, want to say? I want to say that I hope Biden holds on. I think we should prop him up as a party, as Republicans, because the worst thing that could happen for our country is having President Kamala Harris. Oh, my and goodness. Great. I, don't, I don't think that's the worst Trump thing. That's one of the worst things. Trump for your party, too. <laughs> All right, still to, come here, still to come here from the Hill on the other side of the break. One of the world's richest men is moving to Florida, and he could save an eye-popping amount of taxes. Have you seen the number here? And it kind of makes sense uh, why Jeff Bezos did what he did. We'll explain. A New York special election to replace George Santos is underway, but is snow playing a role in voter turnout? A look at how that race is unfolding and why it's so important. And also on the other side of the break, Mick Mulvaney. That's not Mick Mulvaney. That's some guy on the show. I've got a newsletter. You can subscribe to it uh, with the QR code. Can but you not smile from the photographs? I actually, I actually asked to get that picture changed, believe it or not. That's look. That's my he serious look. Serious. So, but what is Mick Mulvaney hearing? Uh, and what does he think about all these changes over at the RNC? Mick will tell us when the hell returns. <laughs> I did. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I you like, like the name? It's good. It's catchy, right? So, uh, Mike, M-I-C, Mick, M-I-C-K, you, you get it? I like it, yeah. Yeah, you like it? Okay. Good. You think so. Uh, yeah, hey. <laughs> Counts for something. I uh, want to get a look at the shakeup, though, happening over at the Republican National Committee. Ronna McDaniel expected to be out as the chair in the upcoming weeks after the South Carolina primary. Donald Trump is proposing three names to take over at the top of the organization. His pick for the top job, Michael Watley, the current head of the North Carolina GOP. He is also backing... His daughter-in-law, 
Laura Trump to serve as co-chair. And finally, the former president has asked his senior campaign advisor, Chris Lasavita, to serve as the RNC's chief operating officer. Okay, Mick. You know Michael Watley. You've known him for quite some time. I know all these folks, and I really like this. I've known Michael Watley. I hate to say it because it dates me. I've known Michael Watley for more than 30 years. Um, I grew up as a lawyer in North Carolina. We played on a softball team together when we were baby lawyers. I think it's a really good choice for a bunch of different reasons. I also like Laura Trump in the number two position. Michael Watley is a, is a good operator. He's run the state party. I think he's also the general counsel to the RNC as well. So he's operated at the very highest levels within the party. He was thinking about running for chairman last time around, but didn't. Folks know him. He's got not much ego, but he's a good operator. He's going to fit in very well with Team Trump. I like Laura Trump because Trump, that's what Trump wants. Trump ran... Trump uh, Inc. As a, as a family business. He ran the White House as a family business. He's going to be much more comfortable with somebody named Trump at all of these meetings and involved in the business. And La Civita, it's not at all unusual for the nominee, or in this case, the presumptive right. nominee, to send his or her person in to run the state, uh, the national party. I like this at every single level. I think it's going to work you out. You care about the timing at all? Because he's basically saying this is my <laughs> my party, but it's not officially. I, 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 listen, you know, I, I, I like Nikki Haley as well. I like Donald Trump. Nikki Haley, you know, win South Carolina, I can say, well, maybe it's too quick to make this change, right. but I just don't see it. What about, what about comments from Jared Kushner today? He was, uh, I believe, in Florida, and he was asked, if Donald Trump wins re-election, will you serve again in the Trump White House? And Jared Kushner said no. He's focused on his business. I think Jared did a great job. I think Jared Kushner's last name wasn't Kushner. and Donald Trump's last name wasn't Trump. They would have received the Nobel Peace Prize for the Abraham Accords. That being said, I think they've moved on. I think uh, Jared Kushner's living his own life now. He's developing his own brand, and Donald Trump is not good for his brand. And Jared Mm -hmm. Kushner is not good for Donald Trump's brand. So they're going to continue to be family. Jared Kushner's always going to have the grandchildren. People always ask me, why can't you get Jared fired? I'm like, you don't fire the guy that owns the grandchildren. (laughs) I think they'll move on, and they'll both be better for it. Okay. All right. Real quick, having run a state party here in D.C., the Democrats, uh, we should take a close look at the By the way, technically, a lot of state party, if it's, a, if it's in district. Yeah, good Columbia, question. Ah, yeah. No, state the they state to party. That in. I saw that. <laughs> Let me just say this. <laughs> With that setup that you really like, I think you're right. I like it. But at the same time, Lara's there for a reason, right? And if she's there and she starts to undermine uh, Watley and report to uh, Trump and undermine, this leadership has to have some trust there. She's there to keep an eye on Watley, if you will. And if there's trouble brewing, she's the earpiece for for Trump. That could spell trouble for Watley in the next six months to a year, I think. Something to it? I I think it's fair. I don't think it'd be any different if her last name wasn't Trump. The the nominee is always going to put his or her person at the top of that group. Okay. Heading now from our hill here in D.C. to yours, potentially, the Amazon founder, second richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, making a big move. He's heading to Miami, or at least has been there for quite some time, and it comes with an added bonus. No state income tax. Now, if Bezos was still living in Washington state, he'd be facing a 7% capital gains tax on sales of stocks or bonds worth more than $250,000. Because of this, when he moved, he just announced that he was selling $2 billion worth of Amazon stock. That means he saves $600 million in taxes. He's not, well, let me, he's probably there in part for the sunshine (laughs) and and Fisher Island. For sure. But, I mean, does this highlight the whole... Red state, blue state. As somebody who lives in California and moved to Texas briefly, the amount that I saved, which was one, one, I don't even know if billionth is the right word. It's got to be a lot less than that. Big fraction. Of the taxes that I saved just moving to that state for a year. 
really was eye-opening. And I think what you see in states like mine is that 40% of the, the revenues are coming from 1% of the population, so the wealthiest are being taxed to death. And that's why California is at the bottom of out-migration, or migration. Nobody wants to come here, and Texas and Florida are one and two. I mean, it has real-life consequences. Well, look, I was a member, a chief of staff to a member of Congress from Florida. Florida has a lot to offer. It's got great weather, low taxes. This is the great thing about having a 50-plus state uh, system where you can try different policies in different states and let the voters respond. What I will say, one of the favorite quotes we had in our congressional office hanging on the wall was, say what you will about the, the South, but no one retires up North. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, but you got to take the There's a flip side of this. The state of Cal- state of Washington just lost six hundred yeah, yeah. million dollars worth of tax mm-hmm. revenue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wouldn't want to move to Texas or um, what's the other place? I wouldn't want to move Florida? to Texas or Florida. <laughs> the other they got place. There's a lot of And they, they both are against DEI and they treat immigrants really badly in Texas. Well, and, so I could. But for six hundred billion, there's other costs. Involved. I don't make enough money to make financial decisions like that. <laughs> like hurricane insurance is big in Florida. Yeah, there, there's, so there's other. There's, there's a other give it All right, more than uh, 1,500 miles away, meantime. In the state of Kansas, they are following several states trying to ban foreign foreign land ownership. The Kansas Attorney General, Chris Kobach, is asking for a ban citing dangers from China. Now, you might remember back in May, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, banned Chinese citizens from buying Mm -hmm. land in that state as well in a bid to, quote-unquote, counteract the malign influence of the CCP. And in Hawaii right now, locals are also pushing for a ban, but... There's different reasons here. Of course, they're getting priced out of affordable housing, especially after the Maui wildfires. Denise, what about what they're doing in Kansas? What I'm concerned about as a Chinese, I'm half Chinese, and so I get nervous when, I know Chris Kobach, I've known him for a long time, people like him tend to say, and they're good people, but they tend to equate all Chinese as the same as the CCP, and that's frankly just not true. My grandfather fought the communists, and so we're on the right side of history, and I think that when we see this kind of directed racial sort of attention put on one group to the exclusion of others, I mean, look, Chinese Communist Party is not coming in looking like the Chinese Communist Party. Well, we've seen this example in Oregon with this this billionaire buying up 198,000 acres. It's a problem. Listen, I'm not saying there's not a national security interest that needs to be addressed. What I'm saying is I don't like it when it's that broad. I think they need to get a lot smarter about different factors instead of targeting a specific race of people. All right, heading now over to the Big Apple New York City, where it seemed to be the first day of, uh, or, or a fail, it seemed to be a fail, rather, of remote learning, but not because of the snow. Of course, there's big weather there right now. Take a look at this headline right here. New York City torments kids with snow day and broken tech. <clears throat> Nearly one million public school students experience connectivity issues, logging into their virtual classrooms. So you had the parents at home with the kids and no way of getting on. I feel so awful that we're robbing this generation of like staying up late, watching the news, trying to see your school district scroll across the bottom of the screen. (laughs) That's the old old thing. You get up and you get to go sledding and you get to have fun. Now you got to sit in front of a computer all day. We got emails now. Like I got an email at five o'clock this morning because our school district in Maryland was delayed two hours because of the snow. And also for the And then it's like, what do you do with the kids? And just how torturous this is for the parents. Hey, I grew up in in broken technology. Real quick. I grew up in Joliet, Illinois. They never took, took snow days. It was five feet of snow. We were walking back through. in my day. It was also uphill both ways. Through some cornfields. All right, I want to show you a live look right now of the House floor uh, here in Washington, D.C., floor of the House of Representatives, where any moment now lawmakers are expected to vote. So this is a procedural. Th- these are other votes. Don't worry about the numbers on your screen. 
The reason why we're showing it to you is because you can see a packed house floor and maybe in the next 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so, certainly within the next hour, we are going to know if the House of Representatives will or will not impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary. Remember, last time it was a dead split 215-215 vote, but Mick, it seems like what potentially could tip things here, Steve Scalise returning from uh, battling cancer, and that could be the one vote. Yeah, this is a this is called a bed check vote when they're trying to see who's there to make sure that the Republicans have more votes than the Democrats. Um, and the games that will be played is the Republicans might hold a couple people back, Democrats might hold a couple people back. Here's the bottom line: if they bring it to a vote, um, it passes and it goes on to the Senate. It fails, Mike Johnson loses his job. Um, he took a little bit of heat for for doing this last week and not getting it across. You think the if line. he if he botches this one if too, he botches, he's done. you can't and, and you can't. I, I like Mike Johnson, but you can't work in an, in an organization where the the guy makes the same mistake twice. That's the definition of insanity. It's Real interesting because I was watching Speaker Pelosi last night on another network, and mm-hmm. she was lamenting of the fact that these felt votes happening. But she her point is you have to build consensus based on trust and respect. Johnson hasn't had time to do that. So these are always going to be a, a roll of the Yahtzee <laughs> dice here. you got to be able to count. You can't count. You can't lead. Bingo. You can't lead. You can't be speaking. Bottom line of any organization. Yeah. Yep. All right. you gotta, and you got to remember that the only people who are telling you the truth are the ones that are no. Right. Got to leave it there, and we'll see what happens with this vote here as we continue to watch live look of the House floor as Alejandro Mayorkas potentially could be impeached here at any moment. Uh, coming up. Polls in New York's special election close in almost two hours. On Balance host Leland Vitter joins me on the other side of the break with what we should expect in that race to replace George Santos. You are watching The Hill on News Nation. We'll be back in a few. News Nation tonight, two exclusive interviews. First, Dan Abrams Live. Former Congressman George Santos speaks out about the race for his seat. Then on Banfield, the brother of murdered mom Rachel Morin, how he feels about the new suspect sketches. Tonight, only on News Nation. Hello, News Nation. So the special election to replace George Santos in New York's third congressional district is underway today in the state of New York. Polls are set to close And about two hours from now, the election comes after the former congressman was expelled over numerous charges against him, including fraud. The former Democratic congressman, Tom Suozzi, is running against Mozzie Phillips, a Republican uh, from Nassau County. She was a local legislator, also a former member of the Israeli Defense Forces. Mm -hmm. On Balance host, Leland Vitter joins us now to discuss. What's up, my man? Not much. Uh, big election there in New York tonight. Yeah. I guess all you Huge need is... money, $15 million in outside money. Well, I mean, look and at what... And snow plows. And snow plows. Well, I'll get to that in a second. But look at what happened with Alejandro Mayorkas last week. 215 to 215, yeah. you had George Santos kind of taunting Republicans, miss me now? Like this one... Well, Matt Gates says he does miss, <laughs> yeah. miss him now. But the point is, this one vote... It's a big deal. They're this one, whoever wins no, it's, this it's one a, it's race. A huge, it's a huge deal. It changes the dynamic for Republicans. It allows Democrats to put a lot more pressure and embarrass Republicans. So it's right. why you're sp- seeing so much money spent on one race that is going to be redone right. uh, in, in November. I think what's most interesting about this is how immigration is playing such mm-hmm. an enormous role in the conversation. Yep. Uh, it's also snowing there. Yeah. In- 